So you know, we are going through the book of Philippians, and we're looking at this theme for the book of Philippians of a binding focus for His glory. Today we're going to look specifically at gospel unity, what unifies us as believers. And we think about this idea of what is it that binds people together? And sometimes it's people's, uh, people have the same passions uh, or same principles, uh, but for the same passions, maybe you think about those who, who uh, have a favorite football team, whether it's the Cowboys or the Redskins or the Steelers or the Vikings or whoever it may be. As, the, as these folks who are passionate about their team, they gather together from all walks of life at a stadium, and they may have never met one another, but boy, they will high-five each other and chest bump and whatever it is that they do at those football games, right? They've never known each other, but they have this common interest, this common passion for their favorite football team. It binds them together. I understand also that people who own Jeeps have sort of that same passion. Now, I've never owned one. My daughter has, and so I've learned some things from her as she had this Jeep, but she doesn't have it anymore, and I praise God for that. But nevertheless, uh, she told me about how when she had this Jeep and how even the people who have Jeeps have this passion together and they even have a certain wave when they pass each other on the road. I don't know about all that, but nevertheless, these passions unite them together. Maybe it's not a passion that unites people together, but it's a principle. The principles will unite people together, like uh, people who have different values. So the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the Libertarian Party, these people have the same values, the same principles. From all walks of life, they come together, they're united in these principles. But here's the thing, for those of us who are believers, it's, it is sort of a passion and it is principle, but more importantly, it is a person who unites us, and his name is Jesus. Amen? He's the one who unites us together, who binds us together as he is our focus. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, says this. He said, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They're of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So one hundred worshipers who are meeting together, each one looking away to Jesus Christ or in a heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for a closer fellowship. You see, here's the bottom line. If we want to see unity among believers, then we are to all look to Jesus and tune our hearts and our lives to him. Now, as Paul writes this church to this letter to the church at Philippi, to the, the, the letter that we know as the Philippians, Paul has, has written this letter. There's a great deal of rejoicing. There's a, a great uh, satisfaction in what he has heard there in the church and how they have supported him, helped him. But also, he has also heard of some division that's in the church. And as we come to this passage in the scripture, we see that he begins to start to deal with that in this part of the letter, this division, if you will. And so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in, chapter, in verse 27. Go through the end of the chapter, just a few verses, and then move into chapter 2, ending in verse 4. So, Philippians 1, 27 through 2, verse 4. So, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this passage of Scripture for us this morning. The Bible says this, 
as Paul's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words. He says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done. Through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself, and let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts and in our lives, that we would be vulnerable to your spirit's moving. Lord, that we would understand what it is to have this gospel unity, that it is you, Lord Jesus, who unifies us. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would be honest with you, sincere in our hearts about our love one for another and our love for you. We pray that you would take this passage and, and speak into our hearts and lives, and Lord, may we walk away a changed people by your power and your grace, and may it be for all your glory. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as you look in the bulletin, where is an outline? We're going to follow through. I give you four points today and a couple of to-dos as we move along. The first thing we want to see here is the standard. The standard here of gospel unity. As he moves into this section, last week, if you remember... We talked about living your life as a disciple with gospel magnification in that our lives, the, the gospel is to be magnified. All about Jesus is to be magnified in and through us. And so now as we move into this, we see here the standard we need that helps lead to unity as he is being magnified in and through us. And so what we find here in verse 27, he says, only... Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that word only is like saying, hey, just one thing you need to remember here. Here's very important to you. This one thing you need to get down. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. And in reality, the word there for let your conduct is really live as citizens worthy of the gospel. And Paul knew exactly what he was doing when he wrote those words to the church of Philippi because to say to them to live as citizens worthy of the gospel would have struck a chord with the people at Philippi because they were people who were living in a Roman colony. And they were very proud of their citizenship in this colony as as a Roman colony. They enjoyed all the privileges and they had many responsibilities and they were happy to fulfill them as Roman citizens. So as he says to them, look, you are to live your life as citizens. It would have definitely struck a chord in their hearts about how they are to live before the people. Live as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. They're to live first and foremost, not as citizens of Rome, but as citizens of heaven. 
Beloved, that same word is for us today. We enjoy our citizenship here in America, but we must live first and foremost as citizens of heaven. Amen? Paul will deal with that just a little bit in chapter 3 where he says, you know, tells them for our citizenship is in heaven to remind them that that's where home is for us. That's where we really are from. Angie and I had the privilege this week for just a couple of days to get away. Our 30th anniversary is on August the 20th here in a few weeks. And on the 20th, you might want to give her a little congratulations for putting up with me for 30 years. But for the, for, so for a couple of days this past week, we were able to get away. We went up to Pennsylvania. We were doing a little bit of shopping, uh, looking in a shoe store or something. Just walking around, having a conversation between us. And the lady, young lady comes up to us, and she says, uh, where are you guys from? We said, well, we're from Virginia. She said, I could tell you not from around here because I just love your accent. <laughs> Angie and I looked at each other like, we have an accent? But evidently we do. In Pennsylvania, we have an accent. But she noticed right away that we were not from around here because of the way in which we were talking. Beloved, listen. When we're citizens of heaven, we're not to, we're not to be from around here. Amen? We're people from a different place. People who are different because we talk different. Amen? We act different from the people around here, the world. We act different, we talk different, and we have different ways even than the people who, who are around here, the world's ways. We have different ways. And so here's one of those ways in which we who are people who have a citizenship in heaven are to act. What Jesus said in John 13, 35, he says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for one another. Amen? That's how we are different. If we have love for one another, we act different, we talk different, we are different, we have different ways about us when we have love for one another, even if those people are hard to love. Jesus says you are to love those people. People will know that you are my disciples. All will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So he's saying your conduct, your citizenship, is to be worthy of the gospel. The word there, worthy, is where we get our word like something's worth something. And so in that day, of course, to find out the worth of something, they would put some things on the scales and the item on the scales to figure out how much it weighed. And so what he is saying here is that the the worthiness of the gospel is to be weighed as on scales, weighing as much as like uh, of like value. So in other words, we're to see to it, Paul is saying, see to it that your citizenship, your heavenly citizenship, your conduct, your manner of life, Weighs, listen, weighs as much as the gospel that you profess. Your words or your words will, have, will not have weight. In other words, your conduct, your citizenship, your manner of life should equal the gospel that you're proclaiming. That's what he's saying. Y'all with me? Amen? Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel as it's weighed out. So your conduct must never be such that the gospel is slandered by your life. And for the church at Philippi, what Paul is dealing with here with the the Philippians is one way that it was being slandered by some of the people there in Philippi was that there was some division now in the church. He says, look, you need to walk worthy of the gospel. Your conduct, your manner of life should be equal to that which you are proclaiming to believe about Jesus. 
we'll see as he moves along into the letter more what he talk, he's talking about. We can see some of that even here. But he says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, specifically toward each other. Then he moves on and he says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. I may hear of your conduct. I may hear that you're living this out. Whether I am here, whether I'm with you, whether I come and see you, or whether I am absent. So what he's saying is that make sure that this conduct, this manner of life that you have that's worthy of the gospel, that it is consistent. Whether I am there with you or whether I am absent from you. Let me put it to you a different way. He is saying to them, look, you need to be, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel all of the time and not just when the pastor is present. Amen? I'm sure there's nobody in here like that that is, acts a little bit differently when the pastor is around. But that's what he's talking about, that your life is to be consistent. Amen? Always the same. Matter of fact, as we think about this consistent lifestyle of worthy of the gospel, dealing with loving each other, we find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. It says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere or unhypocritical love or genuine love of the brethren, watch this, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So as believers in Jesus Christ, the Bible is clear to us that we're to have this conduct that is worthy of the gospel. And as we're living that out in among ourselves and out in the world, that we're to have a love for one another that comes from being born again, that Jesus now lives within us. And this love that we have for each other is an unhypocritical love. It is a genuine love. It is a sincere love that we're to love fervently each other with a pure heart. Amen? Y'all with me? Wearsby, Warren Wearsby says, he quotes an, an unknown author in a little uh, uh, verse where he says this, when we're thinking about living this, this life out. He says, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithful or true. So just what is the gospel? according to you. That's a good word. Amen? What is the gospel according to you? So the standard is that as we have this, seeking to have this gospel unity, loving each other fervently, is that we're to have this conduct, living as citizens of heaven, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for us and rose again bodily from the grave. And as we live that life out, we're making sure, secondly, that we stand together. He says, look, he says, so that you, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, standing together. The word here is a word picture as, as of soldiers who are standing firm together. It is a word picture where they, we see these soldiers in our minds who are standing firm, standing fast, uh, defensively against the opposing enemy that is coming toward us, and that we hold our ground as as soldiers together, linked arm in arm, side by side with our fellow soldier against the enemy who is coming against us as a whole. 
Because here's the thing that we need to constantly be reminded of, beloved, is that indeed, as believers, we are engaged in war. And that we as believers, each one of us individually, and us as a whole, must man our post. For you and I, each of us, have a responsibility. We link arms, we fight the enemy together. Amen? We fight the enemy together. There is a sense of pride and camaraderie among uh, the Roman military. The Philippians certainly would have known that. And so hearing this, they, they knew that they needed to stand ready and to be prepared to fight the enemy. And again, remember that the enemy is not each other. The enemy is always the devil. Always the powers of darkness. That's the enemy. Amen? And so we stand together as the enemy, fighting together as we defend ourselves against the enemy. I was reminded of a story in National Geographic from May of 1987 that was talking about this, the Arctic wolf. And it was given a feature there article in that edition where the author of that article was describing how a pack of these Arctic wolves had targeted several uh, oxen calves, calves of oxen, who were guarded, these, these calves were being guarded by uh, 11 adult oxen. And as the wolves see these calves, they approach uh, these calves, and the adult oxen make a, a solid semicircle, and they, they bunch together with their faces toward the calves, and their hooves, that, that are very deadly, uh, rear hooves were facing the wolves, uh, and they were able to keep those calves safe during that long standoff with the enemy. But as they have this standoff with the wolves, it goes on to tell about there was a single ox who all of a sudden broke rank. And the herd then scattered into nervous little groups. And a skirmish ensued, and the adults, the adult oxen, then finally fled in panic, which left the calves to the mercy of the wolves and not a single calf survived. Beloved, listen. As Paul knew firsthand that there would be many who would oppose them and the gospel message, he says to them, stand together. Stand firm. Stand fast in one spirit. And such it is for us today that there will be many in the world who will oppose us as believers as we believe the Bible to be the inerrant word of God. There will be people in our culture who will not understand why we believe what we believe about the Bible, but we are to stand firm, stand fast together. As the enemy comes against us and opposes us, we must stand together. Together in one spirit, meaning in spiritual solidarity, meaning that we stand together with our focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, pointing people with the love of Jesus to him. And we stand in his power, and it's through his power that we do stand. So we stand together defensively as the enemy comes against us, looking to Jesus, living as citizens of heaven, but then thirdly, also not only standing together, but striving together. And just as the standing together, we see the picture of a soldier defensively standing firm as the enemy opposes us. Now this word striving together sees us moving forward. So now this is offensively how we're to move forward even in this dark age. 
He says, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. For that word striving is the same word which we get our word athlete. So he's saying, look, let us run this race together with the same desire, with the same will, with the same passion to move together, to run this race together, to compete together. For we're on the same team, contending as one man. The whole team working together for the common goal, which is to advance the gospel no matter what. So we're striving forward, we're pressing on, we're pushing against the enemy to rescue the perishing, cooperating together. Y'all with me this morning? We all move forward together in Jesus Christ. Gospel unity, striving together to rescue the perishing. I couldn't help but to remember the story in in Mark chapter 2. You remember the story of the of the four guys who took the paralytic to Jesus. And as they were taking the paralytic to Jesus, you know, they, they are going, they, they picked him up on a mat, and they take him to the house. The house is full of people. They can't get in. So they take him up on the roof. They open the roof. They lower him down to Jesus. And I couldn't help but to think about those four men and how important it was for them to cooperate together to get this man to Jesus. And it just dawned on me, what if... What if one of those men who's walking along the road to take this paralytic to Jesus, one of the men says, you know, guys, look, when we get there, I want us to go in the front door because I like the people in the front door and they'll let us go through. And one of the other guys says, no, I don't like the front door. I don't really care for those people, but I tell you what, I like the back door because I really like the back door people. And that's who I want, I want us to go that way. And then another one of those four guys, he says, you know what, I don't like the front door or the back door people. Well, let's go in the side door. And they say, and so what happened, in my mind, is that what happens if those three guys, and the poor fourth guy, he just didn't have an opinion at all. So these three guys, and they're just bickering among themselves so much that it gets elevated, and then they drop the guy and begin to fist fight. What happens is that the poor guy they're going to take to Jesus never gets brought to Jesus because they're fighting over something so ridiculous. But isn't that exactly what happens in a lot of churches today? Something just as crazy as that, something just as silly that people will get upset about and begin to fight. And pretty soon, the mission of getting people brought to Jesus gets dropped. Amen? How ridiculous that is. You see, as believers in Jesus Christ, this gospel unity is that we are to stand together against the enemy and strive together, pressing forward to reach people who are perishing and bring them to Jesus Christ. Together, amen? Amen. Moving together. Paul is saying, let us live lives that are worthy of the gospel, standing together against the enemy, but also advancing together for the gospel to rescue the perishing. It is teamwork. It is persevering together. And it's important He says in verses 28 through 30, because we will suffer together. That's what he's telling them here in Philippi, is that indeed they will suffer. We We know that suffering goes on today in other parts of our world, and even in parts of America. There's suffering that takes place for the cause of Christ. That's not to say it's not gonna happen if it doesn't happen in your life. It may still. But what we find is that the Bible says that We stick together, we strive together, because there is suffering that's going to come as a believer in Jesus Christ. 
He says there in verse 28 and 30, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. So strive together for the faith of the gospel, not in any way terrified by your adversaries. The same word there is the word of a horse that shies away in battle because of the sounds or whatever. He's terrified by these sounds. He says, look, as you hear things that are taking place, let's stand together, let's strive together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified, being scared to death by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. See it as a gift that we get to suffer as Christ suffered. We don't like to hear that, but that's what the Bible says. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Don't be terrified, for we strive together to be strong together. Because here's the thing, friends. Listen, the devil loves to make us think that we are alone in this battle. When the truth of the matter is, is that you are not alone when you are a believer in Jesus Christ. We need each other. We have him, but we also, he allows us to be together, standing together, striving together. We're on a team together. I love what Herman Edwards, who was a colorful and witty coach with the Kansas City Chiefs, and this is what he said about teamwork. He said, the players that play on this football team, talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, we will play for the name on the side of the helmet and not the name on the back of the jersey. Amen? We will play for the name on the side of the helmet and not the name on the back of the jersey. So we are to stand together and strive together and thirdly, or fourthly rather, be selfless together. Be selfless together. Listen. From the very beginning in the garden. Until this very day. The problem with humanity is still the same. And here's the problem. The problem is that we are preoccupied with me, myself, and I. When in reality, we were not, listen, we were not created to delight in ourselves, but we were created to delight in our Creator. And when we are preoccupied with me, myself, and I, then we become selfish and self-absorbed, and we have self-pity, and we become self-righteous. While Angie and I were traveling, we saw a marquee on a church sign that said this, A man is never so empty as when he is so full of himself. Amen? And you can write that one down. A man is never so empty as when he is so full of himself. And so we see here that that's what the problem with humanity is. is we're, we are so preoccupied with me, myself, and I. But Paul says, for there to be gospel unity, then we must have conduct that is worthy of the gospel. And the gospel itself is self, selfless and sacrificial. And so we are to be selfless together, not looking to self, but rather looking to Jesus. So in verses 1 through 4 in chapter 2, we see the exhortation, we see the reasoning and the command uh, to be selfless together. Now, in these verses, when you look at those uh, four verses, we find that there are four reasonings or four rationales for unity, and then you find four commands. And I believe that if you look at them, you can take the first one and apply it to the second, or, or rather, the first reasoning rationale in verse 1, and then look at how, see that it, it corresponds with the command in verse 2. Let me explain what I'm talking about. 
He says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So let's look at that. The word there, if, in the New King James, really is the word since. Like, since this is happening. So he's saying, there, therefore, since there is comfort in Christ, since there is consolation in Christ, since there is encouragement in Christ, then, verse 2, then fulfill my joy by being like-minded. In other words, he's saying, since we have been changed and transformed and have hope now in Jesus Christ, we have this encouragement because of who we are now in Jesus Christ, then let us act like Christ. Let us be like-minded like Christ, which is selfless. Amen? Move further in that verse 1, he says, since there is comfort of love, then in verse 2 it says, then have the same love. Since we have this comfort of love, since we have the peace and the comfort that comes because God loves us, then let us also have that same love for other people. Y'all with me today? You see that since we have this love that God has for us, we, we've, been, we've been comforted because God loves us. He loved a wretch like me. Since he loves somebody like me and has extended his grace to somebody like me, then I too am to have that same kind of love for other people. It is a love that is sacrificial. It is a love that is unconditional. It is a love that is reaching out. It is a selfless love. He says, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, meaning we have all this, who are believers, we all have the same Spirit, then let us be of one accord and one mind, united together. In other words, since the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives within each of us as believers, then let Him, watch, let Him be the one who is guiding our thoughts. Let Him be the one who is guiding our words. Let Him be the one who is guiding all of our actions. And in so doing, we will go in the same direction, be in one cord, having one mind, doing what He wants. Did you notice that? Doing what He wants, not what I want, what He wants. And that is selfless. Since there, then also the latter part of verse, verse 1, he says, since there is affection and mercy for us that comes through the gospel, then let the affection and mercy that's been shown to us also be shown to others. Having nothing been done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each other, let you esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of other people. So here's the thing. Since mercy and affection have been extended to us by his grace, then do nothing, you do nothing, from your selfish ambition or conceitedness, because here's the thing, it's not about you. Amen? It's not about us, it's all about him. So place others above yourself. Listen, place others above yourself, whether you think they deserve it or not. And that is selfless. So there's this gospel unity when we recognize the standard, conducting ourselves worthy of the gospel as we look to Jesus, standing together, striving together, and are selfless together. And then we find this gospel unity that Paul's talking about here. Two quick things and we're done. Number one, to do, humble yourself. 
humble yourself. Man, that's key, isn't it? Since we always are so preoccupied with me, myself, and I, the, the thing that needs to happen is that we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is telling a parable, and he's telling those people who are invited to a wedding feast. He said, look, don't go and sit in the place of the honorees when you go there. Go to the lowest place. And then the person who invited you then will say, no, don't see it, sit here. You go up there. And then in Luke 14, 11, he says these words. Jesus says, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see that? Jesus is saying, humble yourself or be humbled. Amen? Humble yourself or be humbled. You see, and we'll look more next week about the humility of Jesus Christ and his example before us and that mindset that is to be ours as we look at verses 5 through 11. Humble yourself. And then secondly, not only humble yourself, but also love unconditionally. Love unconditionally. This is that selfless, that Christ-like love, to love other people unconditionally, no matter who they are, no matter what walk of life they're in, love other people unconditionally. And when we humble ourselves and we love unconditionally, looking to Jesus, then we will have this gospel unity that he's talking about here in the Scripture. So, a lot of talk this morning about unity. So, why is that important to the Scripture? Why is that important in our lives as believers? Well, first off, it's important because it's commanded. This unity as believers is commanded by the Lord. But also, when we have this unity, the gospel unity, it portrays the sacrificial love of Jesus for us. And also, we have this gospel unity. We are reminded of this other fact, and here it is, is that we need each other, amen? We need each other to stand together. We need each other to strive together, so we're to be selfless together. We need each other. And the other thing that's very important in this unity is this. It's that people are watching. The world around us may never talk about your church, but you let there be division or skirmish or problem, and they will begin to talk about your church quicker than you can blink your eyes. Amen? People are watching to see how we act and how we react. Let's give them some good things to talk about. Amen? That we love each other. And I'm grateful for Mount Pleasant that we do. One quick story, and I'm done, I promise, okay? <clears throat> a few weeks ago, when we went to Quebec. Um, we, my family stayed in a little condo that we rented through a website uh, called VRBO, Vacation Rentals by the Owner. We do that, we've done that several times in different places in which we've been. Never had any problems with that at all. But if you, if you know, if you've ever rented from a website like that, Often you'll get you know, something from them or an Airbnb or home away that they want you to do a survey when it's done on the place in which you stayed that says, you know, was this the place that you thought it was? Did the pictures really do it justice? Is it really that kind of a place? Is it true? You know, so you're, you're doing a, a survey uh, to say to the world who will see that this is you know, genuine and they'll, it'll be, it's posted on their, their websites or whatever. Well, uh, after we stayed there, I, I didn't fill out a survey for this, this place that we stayed at, but it was a great place. We didn't have any problems with it at all. But uh, this last week, uh, I got up early as I typically do and was, opened up my 
phone real quick to see if I'd had any text during the night or emails that I may have missed or whatever that I need to be praying for or what have you. And as I noticed, I had an email from VRBO, Vacation Rentals by the Owner. And I opened it thinking it was another one of those surveys, but what it said is it said that you have been rated on your stay. Then look at that one more time. Open my eyes here. I have been rated on my stay. It was rating me for everyone to see what kind of guest I was in that house. Never had that happen before. I was taken aback by that. Then I looked at my ratings, and you'll be happy to know that I got all five stars. Amen. <laughs> but I thought, you know, this is really interesting because it was rating the guest on the overall experience with the owner of the house, the cleanliness, if we were clean people, if we abided by the house rules, if we communicated well with them, those kinds of things. And, and so I'm looking at that, and, and so I was happy that I got all five stars, but I thought, my goodness, I mean, here, what if I was a terrible person, and, you know, I'm the pastor of Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, and maybe he didn't like me or something, he'd give me one star, and then would be out there for the world to see. But then I remembered something. We're always being rated. Amen? People are rating us all the time. What's your rating today? Don't ask me. Don't answer that out loud, all right? But what's your rating today? If instead of overall experience and cleanliness and house rules and communication, if it was living a life worthy of the gospel standing together and striving together and being selfless together. Would you get all five stars? Boy, I pray we would. But chances are all of us have work to do, amen? Let's be faithful to what God's called us to do. Live by his standard, which is looking to Jesus and seek to be more like him and to love like he loves. And he will empower us. Let's pray together. Father.